you're watching online, it's, I hope you're able to get just a glimpse of what it feels like to worship as we worship together, and, and we realize that that's going to look different as we go forward, but we are grateful and we are rejoicing in the name of the Lord. I am so uh, excited that we are back together and, and seeing so many of you here in person and live and in real time. You're going to have to be patient with me, okay? Uh, just quite honestly, I've been for the past three months looking right there the whole time, right? And now I've got an audience back in uh, the, the room, and um, that also means that I appreciate you. I appreciate looking in your eyes. I appreciate those of you who close your eyes during my sermon. I know you're praying intently, and I know that means just the world to me that it's moving to you. Um, as we gather together today, I've been thinking a lot about what we would say, what I would say for this day in particular, and thinking about what it is that needs to be said in the moment where we come back from such a strange time, and even now it's not completely normal, is it? Uh, there's that awkward sort of in the foyer moment where you're like, you see somebody and you haven't seen them in some pl- in sometimes months and, and for me, I'm just a hugger, you know. I mean, I showed you all that when I was preaching to you at the camera and doing this little action. I mean, that's how I am. And so I don't even, it's awkward for me. I'm like, is this, is this okay? Is, you know, elbow, fist bump, is it, what, what is the right thing to do? So uh, appreciate your patience and your mercy. I appreciate you understanding that your preacher, like all of us, are doing the best we can and trying to make the best uh, a, a sense of things and trying to do things from a, a God-fearing, God-centered, Christ-centered perspective. We are glad that you're here. I don't know if you've ever seen a flock of geese fly. Kind of interesting to watch. They typically fly in a V formation. And that, that formation is not just kind of interesting and fun to watch them fly together like that. There's actually a reason that geese fly in a V formation. Those, those geese are pretty smart, and they figured out uh, that when they line up in a V formation, they're flapping their wings together, uh, they get farther from flapping together, from flying together, than they, do, than they ever would alone. Geese understand, in fact, it's been scientifically proven that a flock of geese in a V formation will fly on average 71% farther than a, a single goose going the same distance, uh, the same journey alone. Geese understand that there's power in teamwork. There's the advantage of staying together. Long before Solomon said two are better than one, it's to their advantage. Geese understand instinctively, by nature, that, that when, as they're flying in the V formation, as soon as they're, they, they fall out of formation or they, they dip out of the, below where the other uh, rest of the flock are flying, they instantly feel the drag and the pull of the air. But when they get it back in formation, they understand they can go farther, faster. Geese understand that teamwork is so important that as they are flying, that sometimes uh, one of them will get uh, tired or sick or hurt. And as that geese has to remove itself from the flock and, and fly down, almost all the time, at least two other geese from the formation will fly down with it and stay beside it and, and help it recover and try to get it back to the formation and fly along with it. That no geese, goose, geese, goose, whatever, is ever left to itself. 
Those geese are pretty smart. They understand the power of encouragement. You hear the geese honking. You, you hear that's kind of the, and it, that annoying sound, right? But what geese are doing, especially when they're flying in formation, that honk has been scientifically proven that they're actually encouraging one another. That they're honking at the guy in the lead to keep up the pace. They're encouraging the, the goose right in front of them to, to keep going, to not give up. And I was thinking this morning, we, we're, it's kind of what we do when we gather together as we, we honk together. I mean, we don't really honk, but we sing to one another and we make melody in our hearts. As we do that, we, we remember that cell phones will always be with us. That they, they will never cease. Uh, but as we honk together, we honk toward one another, we encourage one another to keep going, to not give up until we reach our destination. Isn't that good? You, you understand then why I use the image of a flock of geese for this series called Let Us. Because I think as we gather together, and as we gather here, or as we gather here, as we, in whatever way we gather, that there's a purpose to the gathering. There's a reason that God called the called out to be called out and to be together. Seems a little surreal in today's world to talk about unity. As we open our phones, as we look at social media, as we watch the news for 30 seconds or more, and we see a world coming undone. We see a world filled with hatred and violence and, and all, all sorts. And you just think, man, can it get much worse? 2020 is like the movie Jumanji. You know, each month you think, ah, how can it get any worse? And then the next month happens. First, it's a virus. Then it's financial catastrophe. Then it's a world falling apart. In my view, maybe now more than ever, the church needs to be reminded of who we are and who Jesus called us to be. What Jesus says matters now more than ever. So, so I've got some things for you to think about this morning and an application, hopefully, that all of us can take away. First of all, in a world full, absolutely full of division, we are called to be one. This is the, 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 the hatred, the, the, the vitriol that we are seeing is not a new thing in our world. I wish, I don't wish that it was, but it, this, is, this has been, I mean, if you read the story of this book, this is not a new thing. It, it is something deeper than what we are told to focus on. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3 is the description of the end of a perfect world. It was a time when the world was perfect and beautiful and good because God made it that way and we messed it up. And when you look at Genesis chapter 3 and, and the description of it, you see an awful thing happen. Genesis chapter 3. Now, we'll start in verse 7. The eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together 
and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. That's one of the saddest verses in Scripture. It's not the only sad verse, but it's the first one. It's the first time that God and his beloved Adam and Eve have distance, have separation. They're divided. Now, God knew what had happened. Of course he did. But Adam and Eve thought that they could hide their sin, and they made coverings for themselves, and they hid from the presence of their Creator. But the Lord God, not verse 9 continues, called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Now, I don't think he's talking there just about his physical nakedness, although that was certainly part of it. But I think he's speaking to a spiritual nakedness, to a vulnerability that he had not experienced before, an ashamedness that he knew that he had sinned and he had done what God had told him not to do. Verse 11, he said, you, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the, the woman you gave to be with me, she, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Now there's step one of division, which is the separation between Adam and Eve and God. But this step two of the separation, what happens What happens when sin enters the world? Almost instantaneously, there is finger pointing and blame and division. Adam points to his beloved Eve, the one made for him and by God to be his unique helper. The one that he would, in in the, the account in Genesis where it says, he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He was enamored with who she was. She was beautiful. She was perfect. And now all of a sudden in this moment, he points to her in blame. She did it, God. And if you pay attention, what does he say? The woman you created. To make this point, to make this point, When sin enters the world, division always comes shortly thereafter. Anytime you see any sort of division, and I'm talking any type of division, if it's division within a family between a husband and a wife, there is sin in the mix. It may may take a while to figure out where it is, but there is sin in that relationship. If there is division within a nation, there is sin in the mix. Anytime you see hatred and racism, you're seeing sin in the mix. Anytime you see rioting and looting and violence, you're seeing sin. It's always been the root of it. And it's always what God has least desired for His children. Because it doesn't just hurt us individually. It hurts all of us. Jesus prayed Of course, Jesus was the grand reunifier. He was the one whose mission it was to take this division, which we read about in Genesis 3, and bring it back together to its full completion. Now, now, that was his mission, but we, you and I, the church, are called to be a part of it. And the night before he died, Jesus prayed a prayer 
And, and I'm not going to read the, the, the whole part of it, but I want to focus just on verses 20 and following. He prays for the apostles, and then he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you understand why unity is so important? Why the church should look so vastly different from the rest of the world? Because that unity in a world that is so divided, is one of the key parts of people saying, how is it? How is it that a church of people so different, rich, poor, red, blue, black, white, can come together as one in a world that is at each other's throats? And Jesus said, when they see you and I unified in the body of Christ, they see something that they cannot know, that they can't ever fully experience within the world. Paul wrote to a divided church. Brent spoke to a church at Rome. The church at Galatia was very similar. They had division among uh, Christians who had come out of Judaism and Christians that had come out that, that had no experience. They were Gentiles. And, and Paul has to try to bring this church together. Look at what he says, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. For in Christ... You are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Guys, if you would, um, in, the, in the booth, would you give me the slide for just a second so we can look at this together? Can you give me the slide for just a second? I need to highlight something. Just uh, show me the, what they're looking at. And let's just look at this together. Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 27. You see, they were a world that was focused on Jew and Greek. Theirs was a world that was focused on slave or free. Theirs was a world that was focused on male and female. But Paul says, no, there's none of that. No Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no male or female. For you are all one. How does that happen? Is that just wishful thinking? Is that just, is that just a very optimistic, naive kind of talk? No, there's only one way that it happens. And you and I know the answer. It's the, oh, no, you took me off too quick. <laughs> it's, 
It's the only answer is Christ Jesus. That's the only explanation. That's the only explanation that we can see. You can take it back now. Thanks, guys. there, There is only one way that the church can be unified and together and one is through Christ. The enemy constantly and forevermore from the beginning until now has been seeking to divide us. And he'll do that in the church. I think he has a much harder fight if we're wise and if we're paying attention to Jesus. But you've seen how he does it in the world. He, he only wants to divide us. He wants to divide us in groups by the amount of melanin or lack thereof in our skin. Isn't that, isn't that ridiculous? Just on the face of it, does it even make sense? But that's how the enemy works. He works within the mind and the heart to focus on the outward appearance. He wants to divide us by black and by white, by male and by female, by red and by blue, by rich and by poor. Whenever you see division being stoked and the fires being stoked, you are watching the enemy at work. Now, I want you to be careful when I say the enemy. Because when I say the enemy, and we've been inundated with social media and news, and, and you got all this stuff in your mind. So when I say the enemy, you're thinking maybe, perhaps, Donald Trump, that guy, he is causing division, and he is the enemy. And some of you are thinking, oh, those Democrats, they're causing division, and they're just trying to take down Trump. I can't believe that. You know what? I can't even. I mean, I can't wait. That's the enemy. Maybe some people say, you know what? It's because those people, they have way more than you do. They're the enemy. They'll tell you what. They've got their billions of dollars and their tax cuts. I tell you what. They're, I'm just, oh, that's the enemy right there. Are, are you feeling awkward yet? Is welcome to social media. Welcome to the news. Welcome to the news of our world. When you're thinking of the enemy, my guess is you're focusing on something of flesh and blood. And now is my job to remind you of a verse from Scripture. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If you've been inundated, if you're caught up, if you think you know who the enemy is, I want you to... Highlight and underline and memorize verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What we are seeing in our world is a manifestation of a spiritual battle. And we have to be careful as the body of Christ not to get sucked in, not to get drawn in and focus 
on the wrong enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is an unseen enemy. And he wants us angry, and he wants us divided, and he wants us hostile, and he wants us not getting along, and he wants, if he can some way, somehow, even to work the worldliness into the church, oh, that would be his dream right there. The world and the prince of it cannot ever fully know unity. Jesus, I'm convinced, is the only way to true, lasting unity forevermore. You are one in Christ Jesus. And there's one element of our worship that calls us back to it every single week. There is one element that calls us to remind us who we are called to be every single week. Youth group, all of you, don't go this way, go this way. Rise up, come down front. You knew the first week back that you were going to be called out. I have missed you guys so much. Stand right here in the middle. Let's get you half and half. I don't... Make, make a couple of rows. That's fine. Go ahead, cheat, look at the notes of my sermon, see where we're going, see how many slides we got. Come on, come on, girls, come over here. Come on over in the front. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, this is our youth group, part of the youth group, a sliver of our youth group, okay? And, and normally they sit down front together. Come on, come on, come on, all the way over. Last one gets to be, yeah, right in the middle. <laughs> I need you guys to help show these guys the unity the thing that you guys do at the end of every devotional, okay? Every devotional, lead us in that song. Jace, go ahead and lead us in that song. Take me by the hand. You guys have sung that for a generation of Northsiders, but you are living out what Paul called us to do and to be as one in Christ. Now, I said that there's something that we do in our worship, and it wasn't singing that song. You, you did a great job. Well, would you guys uh, just, um, I don't know, kind of split? Can I, can I get a couple of the ladies come down this way? You're a little lopsided. <laughs> Lauren will come with you. Thank you. Yeah, come, come on. That's fine. Okay. So, so if you guys will kind of split. Let's just split right here. I know we're talking about unity, but for gather around the table at this end and gather around the table at this end, guys, and just circle around it if you can. What brings us together 
is not singing beautiful songs, but it is this table. Now, I need some of you, because they, they're, they're doing it on camera. Can you do, do a little this action? There we go. And can you guys do a little this action? There we go. There we go. Now they can see. I realize these days we are not doing a lot of this kind of communion anymore, and you're going to have your individual cups and all of that, but do, do you understand what's happening here as we gather in, a, in this sense? And as we've done it online, we've done it here. What's happening is this. We are partaking of emblems in a body. Jesus said, the bread represents his body. The fruit of the vine represents his blood. And you guys are ingesting. So can you just pretend to eat for just a second? Just like pretend like, you know, just do what you do with Lord's Supper. Just, okay, you're ingesting. You guys, you do your ingesting here, okay? You, you partaken of it, okay? So when you're in Christ, you're, you, so you have the one body being partaken of by many bodies. One body partaken of by many bodies. So that together we are the body. Isn't that cool? How God moved us from the tabernacle to the temple to us. To each of us. As we live our lives. You know, you know the past several months... The media and the world have been saying, man, how a church is surviving. The church is surviving and thriving. The church is surviving and thriving through our bodies. We, you and I, are the body of Christ. Now, go back and, and have a seat together. And thank you for sitting together. And thank you for the unity that you display that we all should have. You guys, I hope forevermore the youth group continues to embody the body. And not just around a table. You see, when we gather as a church, around this table are many different people. Male and female, all different colors. Rich and poor, all different backgrounds and ethnicities. This table means more than you and I ever fully realize it is, uh, it is just an affront, it's an aggressive front to the spiritual enemy where Jesus again says, hey, watch this. While you're all dividing them up, I'm going to bring them all together. I'm going to bring them together as one in me and through me. So then, since we are called to be one in Christ, may we then continue in a world of wrongdoing, to do what's right. You and I have no control over the actions of other people. Think about that. Have you ever sat, like, over here and been watching someone over there? And for some reason, you can't get your eyes off them, and you're, you're thinking about, man, I wish they would just do this. I, I wish they would, oh, man, they're being so loud, or man, I wish they'd take their child out, or whatever. And you're just thinking about someone else. In that moment, simple example, all you're doing is wishing that you could affect the actions of other people. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And we waste a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to affect the actions of other people. 
The story of the word from beginning to end has very much not about us trying to change everyone else's action. The Bible comes to us as God's holy mirror and says, let's start with you. When you hold it up as a holy mirror and it it identifies within us the sin and the wickedness and the evil that's in your heart, the word calls us to do what's right. You see, you and I have total control over our own actions, and often that's the last thing we want to change. I don't know who said it originally, but it goes something like, everybody wants the world to change, but no one wants to change themselves. We are called to a gospel of doing what's right. The golden rule, which I have for you on the screen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Whatever you, you wish others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. The golden rule of doing good puts the responsibility of doing good right here on you and I. We are called to do good. The short way of saying this is that doing right exceeds being right. Every single person wants to be right. Maybe you've been one of those. I've got my platform and I'm going to type it in and let them know that I'm right and they're wrong. You probably haven't seen any of that. Everybody wants to be right. Think about it from God's perspective. God says none of you are right. Even when you think you're right, you're wrong. You can't even know what's right. Apart from me. So instead of calling us to be right, God calls us to do what's right. And doing right always exceeds being right. I hope for you that wherever you are as you live your lives, you focus on doing what's right instead of being right. Because I've had to learn and I've had to repent that even Toby is not right all the time. I really thought Christy was going to say amen. The golden rule reminds us that God puts responsibility on us. Think about it. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. The scripture says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We want to blame everybody else. God says, what about you? What are you doing? Micah chapter 6, verse 8. A scripture that you probably don't even have to turn to, you know. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? you? Did you know that? What does he require of you? What does he require of you? 
Not everybody else. Of you. To do what is good. To do justice. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. Ezekiel 18, the prophet said, The soul who sins will, will be the one who will die. The, the father not share the guilt of the son, nor the son the guilt of the father. God can judge us each individually, and he calls us all to do what's right. But, but, but everybody else was doing it. No, 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 no. I called you to do what's right. Jesus put it like this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be trampled by men underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt and light are simply two simple substances that change the way things are for the better. But Jesus calls us to be salt individually. We have the responsibility to be the salt, and to share the light. And we not forget. It's easy to look around and think about what everybody else is not doing. And if they would only do this, and if they would only do that, well, well, if the leaders of the nation would do this, and if the governor would do that, and if the elders would do this, and the preacher would do that. And Jesus calls us back, guys, be the salt. Be the light. Be the love that our world needs so bad. And that's the last point. In a world of hatred, let us love well. Let us love well. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. You see, again, we're called to do what's right. My brother and shepherd Brent stole the sermon this morning, Romans chapter 12, but that's okay. It's the same book every week. It's all I preach from. So, Romans chapter 12, verses 9. By the way, not a coordinated effort. That's a spirit-coordinated effort, I guess. The Scripture calls us to this. Someone once said, uh, Romans chapter 6 will tell you how to become a Christian. Romans chapter 12 will teach you how to remain a Christian. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Never repay, sorry, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to 
to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Agape love, is we just think of it as godly love. The Greeks viewed it as love in action, love shown, love, love exemplified. Love does is another way of putting it. It's easy to, to post a hashtag. It's easy to virtue signal. It's easy to just type what your belief is and say anybody else who believes otherwise is wrong. Scripture doesn't call us to do any of that. Scripture calls us to do what's right and to love in action. Guys, right now, the world is going to seek a political answer to a spiritual problem. Make no mistake, the enemy's at work. You watch. He's going to say, well, we've got all this trouble, and so opportunists will say, if you vote for me, I'll fix it. If you just put in this policy, we'll make it go away. If if you'll just do these things, it'll fix this problem. And none of that will even come close to the root of the problem. Because the spiritual problem is sin. And it's the root of so many of our problems. And we want to address all the superficial stuff without getting to the root of the thing. In my yard, I've had lots of time to uh, work in the flower bed. You're weeding it. You know, you know if, you, if you just pull the weed by the top, what's going to happen? It's going to grow back, right? It's going to grow back. We see these worldly problems growing back all the time. Do you know why? Because we don't get to the root. When you pull it by the root... That weed won't come back. The only root of all of these problems is sin. Four years ago, there was a, perhaps you remember it, there was a, a bit of a, a, a similar problem going on in the world in a place called Ferguson, Missouri. And a guy by the name of Benjamin Watson, NFL football player, wrote a Facebook post and he was called to speak about it, and I thought it just hit the nail on the head. So listen to what Benjamin Watson had it said, because I think he said it so well. In the 60 seconds I have remaining with you, sir, let's ask you, we talk so much about this on a macro level. How about on a micro, on a day-to-day basis? How can we, you know, black, white, whatever, improve this? Well, I, I, honestly, I think I, I point to it in the very last paragraph that I read. And, and I'm encouraged because things aren't the way they used to be. You know, we all have grandparents that, that told us how things were. We've all seen documentaries. We are definitely making progress. But I think on an individual, on a, uh, on a micro level, the issue is not really skin. The issue is sin. And I, I firmly believe that the issue is that internally we are flawed. Internally, 
we need salvation from our sin. Internally, our sin makes us prideful. It makes us judgmental. It makes us prejudiced, which leads to racism. It makes us lash out at people that don't look like us. It makes us look past look past evidence to protect people that look like us. It, it makes us do all those things. It makes us lash out in anger. It makes us point finger. It, 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 it wow. makes us, our sin that's in us makes us do those things. And the only, the only salvation for this sin is the gospel. The only way to really cure that what's on the inside is understanding that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And so th to me, on a micro level, it's understanding. It. Oh, and just like that, we lost him. I know. I heard you guys rapping me. I just couldn't let him go. Benjamin Watson, thank you so much. Good luck at the game Sunday. I'm Brooke Baldwin. See you Monday. Jim Shudo, up next. I realize, I, I, truthfully, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt there. Okay? Maybe there was a broadcasting, a hard time. I, I get it. Maybe there was. Maybe there was ulterior motives. My point is simply this. Benjamin Watson pointed to the root, to the spiritual problem. That if we don't ever get to the root, this weed is going to keep growing back up again and again and again if we will never learn. And he didn't just point to the root of the problem. He pointed to the only solution. Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. My goodness. The world rushes on. He pointed out the problem. And he pointed right to the solution. And I'll tell you the same thing. Jesus is the solution for the root of the problem. Our problem is not a political one. Our problem is a spiritual one. And until we get Jesus to transform hearts internally, externally, nothing's going to change. And eternally, the problem's still the same. May we not forget our problem is a spiritual one. And the solution is found in not a politician, not a program, not a hashtag. But a person is Jesus, the Christ. And if you are a person with racism in your heart, and you need to repent of that, you need to let Jesus come in and take hold of that and rip it out by the root. If you have hatred and enmity in your heart, Jesus is the answer for that. He's the only one who can transform, the only one that I know of that can do it. But you've got to let him do it. And until you let him do it, nothing will change. You can deal with the externals all you want, but you've got to get to the internal. You've got to get to the root. This morning... I'm going to call you, first of all, if you aren't in Christ, you need to know that your eternal security lies in his hands. And that there's only one way to, him, uh, to God, and that's through him. And if you aren't in Christ and you need to be immersed, if you need to begin that walk with Christ, if you need to begin your journey and have your sins forgiven and the Holy Spirit to dwell within, then you can do that this morning. But if you have sin that needs repenting of, if the enemy has allowed to sow seeds of division and hatred and animosity and violence in your heart, Jesus can take care of that too. If you'll but repent and turn it to him. 
Whatever your need is this morning, in just a minute, we're going to sing a song. Now, you're used to me saying, come down, come, stand, come down front as together we stand and sing. Today, we're not going to do that. We're going to have some shepherds who are at the back. So if you have a need, a spiritual of any type, and you need to talk with our shepherds during this song, please go to the back, and they'll address your needs there and, and make the appropriate ones known to the congregation at the right time, okay? So at this time, let's stand and sing. And if you have a need, please see our shepherds at this time.